Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Colin Tate. He is a serial entrepreneur, owner and host of nine Airbnb properties, Airbnb ambassador, short-term rental coach, author, and speaker. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Colin. Make me sound busy, Charles. <laughs> Got a lot of things there. Yeah. So give us a little background on yourself, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing and uh, my, uh, primarily short-term rentals. As you said in the intro, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I define that I've never had a W-2 job. So very uh, quickly out of college, mm -hmm. I started a company and you know spent a lot of time with that company, sold the company. Mm -hmm. I've built five or six other companies through my career. Um, so just always been that kind of looking for opportunities kind of person. Uh, never really wanted to punch somebody else's clock. Really loved the idea of being in control of my own destiny in terms of time and finances, um, you know, love, love to be able to put in the work and, and see, you know, the, the rewards for my own, you know, efforts. And I've always been fascinated with real estate. You know, I had a couple of long-term, you know, condo rentals, you know, I bought a condo and, um, you know, and then moved out of it and did it, put it in a long-term rental market and bought another one. And they just never really performed for me. Also in a commercial building at one point in time with that first company that I owned and, you know, it it uh, it was a way to get money out of the company, but also was never really a, a performing, cash flowing, or, or really highly appreciating mm -hmm. asset. Um, but then I, I got into short term rentals um, back in 2018. I had bought a cabin a few years before, and it was just a personal use cabin, and ended up putting it on Airbnb as uh, some friends of friends wanted to, you know, stay there, and we thought, well, okay, we'll give it a shot. I uh, famously have a joke with my wife when we first bought the cabin, you know, she asked, were we going to put this up on Airbnb? And I said, no, what are we going to, you know, uh, it's not worth the hassle. What are you going to make a couple hundred dollars? Well, I was really proven wrong. So when we first, <laughs> uh, when we first put it up, it immediately started booking every weekend. Yeah. And, you know, then weekdays and ran that for a year or so. And then 2018, I'd sold a company, was really kind of scratching my head with what, uh, what to do next. And really looking at the performance of that one asset, and, you know, I bought this cabin, maybe $160,000, you know, over a year or two, we, you know, we fixed up a little bit as a family place, but it was, uh, it was grossing maybe $4,000 a month and netting like $2,000 a month. 
So, you know, really high cash on cash, you know, whatever metric you want to look at, you know, the returns were really, really strong. And so there in 2018, I said, well, you know, I've always been interested in being a real estate investor. Real estate's always fascinated me. Let me, um, when I dive into this a little bit, I can see, I can really see the multiple of the cash flows, right? You know, two and three and four seem pretty easily scalable. And uh, that summer of 2018, I ended up buying three properties. I kind of set out to buy one and, you know, how that goes in real estate, you know, you find opportunities and things happen. Um, and that's what really kind of set me down, you know, my short-term rental journey of not just being, you know, a part-time hobbyist, but um, with the, the three properties, I was really able to start really understanding what was going on, mm-hmm. what was making yeah. the market tick, what was making Airbnb tick, how, you know, if there's 300 properties in an area, what's really making the difference, moving the needle to getting those properties at the top of the list. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, so how are you financing your properties? Uh, these were all single family, correct? So you mm-hmm. were able to get just a regular investor loan for that, which is like a 20% goes on your personal credit? You know, I, I've done a few different things. Um, I've done a couple conventionals. The first few mm-hmm. were kind of conventionals. Um, I had one builder financed. Uh, oh, nice. There was a place that we have in Turks and Caicos. It was a resort and you know, there was a builder financing there. Uh, most recently, I've been doing DSCR loans, that service coverage ratio loans. Um, uh, I've been buying in cash and then burring out. So I uh, used a, a line of credit um, for the first time I did that and uh, used the line of credit, buying cash. It's a very competitive market. Um, you know, post-COVID, a lot of people are looking for that getaway kind of house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when the stock market up until, you know, six months ago was really strong. And so it was very competitive to try to buy a place, you know, vacation getaway kind of place. Cause that's what everybody was looking for. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the model now is buy cash and, and burr out um, through like a DCR type loan. Can you explain uh, D, uh, you know, DCR, DSCR? DSCR um, can you, um, can you explain exactly what that is? Yeah. And then also, you have to show that you're able to service it. Are they going to ex- are they accepting your short term rental income as income for the property versus conventionally it would be a twelve month lease? Good question. So the TSCR loan means debt service service coverage ratio. So if you can find comparable rentals in the area that have a income potential enough to cover the mortgage or by some ratio, I think each lenders have you know, slightly different ratios, um, then they will look at that potential income stream as opposed to say your W-2 or your tax returns. Um, I think some of the companies advertise as using short-term rental revenues, but when you really dig into it, they are really using the comparable long-term rentals. Right, cool, right. yeah. yeah. Interesting, okay. Yeah, so it would be just to explain this, I guess, in a, an example format really quickly is that if you, if uh, the DSCR debt service coverage ratio is 1.25 by a lender, um, you, uh, have, you have a, um, a debt, a mortgage on this property that costs you $1,000 a month, you need to make $1,250 for it to catch that ratio. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Okay. So very simple. And they use it all the way into commercial, but it's something that people use. The thing, the key though, is that 
you have to have that income and show that income. So all I'm saying is sometimes that it, they might not use a short-term rental. They might use the 12-month um, rental value monthly income. Does that make sense? Which is yep. going to be lower than what you're going to get from a short-term rental. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think the industry is evolving. Um, I think lenders are kind of catching up. I think it won't be too, too long mm-hmm. until lenders really do start looking at short-term rentals mm-hmm. more like a multifamily, you know, where you really are yeah. using the, the cash flow, the pro forma cash flow or, or you know, um, prior performance cash flows to service that, that, that debt. You know, just like everything in real estate, you know, once you get past, you know, the first couple, there's, there's all kinds of creative avenues, yeah. you know, to pursue. Awesome. So uh, for example here, like, let's say if I want to purchase a single family house as a vacation, in a vacation area and use mm-hmm. it uh, for personal use and also as a short-term rental, how would you suggest, how do I underwrite a short-term rental? How do I find the rental comps? How do I find the best location? Maybe, you know, this street from the beach or two streets from the beach or this area. And then I know where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck when I go to rent it. Yeah, we take both a qualitative and quantitative approach to that. And the the soft side approach is, you know, Charles, where do you like to go, right? You know, do you live, you live in Florida, but you like to ski, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or do I live, you know, where I live, it, I live right outside, in a metropolitan area right outside DC, Washington, DC. So my market is sort of like the mountains two to three hours west of here, right? People are looking to, I, I got into that market because I like to fly fish. Mm-hmm. buddies all the time and ended up buying this, you know, kind of fishing cabin. So the first part of it is start with, we call it find your where, where do you like to go? Where would you take your spouse for a three-day weekend? Where would you want to go for, you know, a getaway with friends? And so that means not chasing the lists, right? You know, there's lists out there, hottest markets, you know, fastest growing markets, fast, you know, maybe it's Miami or, you know, but I, I tend to tell people not to chase the list, but to sort of chase their passion. So that's sort of the first qualitative part of it. So let's say you've got that idea in mind, you know, a winery area or a lake area. How do we dig in and find out now? I like it, but what are the numbers going to look like there? So there's a lot of tools. The primary one is called Air DNA. Mm-hmm. This is a subscription-based software tool that does a lot of things for you. First, you can plug in, say, the uh, zip code for that market. Uh, it's a subscription. It depends on the size of the market. I think that one's like $20, $30 a month, depending on the market size. AirDNA will give you an overview of that market and, a, and grade it in a su- certain number of categories. Grades like investability, market growth, regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will also give you the average daily rate for that market. It'll give you the number of active listings for that market. And it'll give you the occupancy for that market. So let's talk with the number of listings. If you've got in mind a place that you like to go, maybe a family, you know, you, your family's always gone to this town. Um, well, is that town going to support a short-term rental? First thing we're looking at is that number of active listings. If there's 42, well, maybe that's kind of a soft market. We're not really going to be able to get as much demand up to um, command the highest prices. I like to see a market over a hundred listings, under a thousand. You know, if you go to Miami, there's a thousand condos in Miami. How do I stand out? I always coach people and we want to be on page one. What are we going to do to have a property that's unique? How are we going to market it? How are we going to um, manipulate? How are we going to run the business so that we're on page one? And in like a thousand person, you know, a thousand property market, that's challenging to do. So that first part is look at the size of the market, you know, is the demand there. Um, and the second is let's now look at those average daily rates 
what are the average occupancies? And now we can start to, as you said, underwrite the deal. You know, is it $200 a night, average daily rate, $300 a night. So take $300 a night, you know, times 30 nights, that's a potential of $9,000. Um, and, and then that we just now to need to look at what the um, average occupancy is. And I'll sort of stop talking for a second and we can you know, circle back to that average occupancy part here in a minute um, and see if I've answered your question. Yeah, yeah, that's it's uh, definitely what I'm looking for. So you're looking for these are the metrics that really it's over 100 um, rentable places, and you're looking to have something so unique that you can get on that first page is really what I'm pulling from there as mm -hmm. the number one things to that you're really doing it. Does that air um, DNA? Does it really bring you down to neighborhoods, really, and areas where? I mean, how like how does it kind of drill down into mm -hmm. the market? So um, there's another piece of AirDNA that you can use to help underwrite. Um, it's called Rentalizer. It's just one of the functions in the sort of left-hand navigation where you would plug in. So now we've moved beyond looking at a market, mm -hmm. a town. Now let's look at a neighborhood, or as you said, you know, two streets from the, the beach. When you plug in your exact address, it will then find neighborhood comparables for you. Right? Okay. So it'll pick yeah. the five or 10 nearest listings and show you precisely what they're doing on an annualized basis. It'll average it out for you, but it'll also show you specifically. So we talked about uniqueness of property. Um, you know, we're not gonna try to have an average or below average property. We're gonna try to do things to make it nicer, make it stand out, add amenities. And so you can look at those individual 10 comparables to see which is most like your vision for your property, your, your decoration, your budget, um, and see specifically what they're making, say, in the last 12 months, and then underwrite from there. Interesting. Yeah. So one thing you touched on was which uh, AirDNA, as you said, um, looks at is the regulation. And this is something that when I've spoken to other multifamily investors like myself, other business partners, and they explain why they've shied away from short-term rentals. And I imagine you hear this a lot or sure. once in a while, but it's something that, you know, it's regulated by this local government that might not be, might be less predictable, right, than a larger mm -hmm. government, let's say for the most part. And they can change rules at any time and all this kind of stuff. And I have friends that are looking to buy a house in Napa, California. So they've told me that there's only like 60 Airbnbs or listing permits available for that town. And you have to be on this waiting list for all this time. So <laughs> so how do you I mean, how are you, obviously, if they didn't have that at that time, and you had an Airbnb, and then they put in this regulation, that's one thing that you worry about. And the other thing is, how do you make sure that if they are in one of those areas where you're waiting on a permit or anything like that, do you just avoid that whole area altogether? Because I mean, you're not going to buy a property and wait five years for a permit. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I tend, you know, my investment thesis personally, and, and that I sort of preach and teach is within two to three hours from every major metropolitan area is where people like to go to get away. So now we're getting out of the downtown, the urban type. And, and that's where we're seeing most of the regulations, you know, happening where you've got these little towns, you know, um, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina was going through something like this a few months ago where, you know, the neighbors, they got the quiet little neighborhood and, and they're not real thrilled that, you know, every other house is becoming a rental, right? Understandable. If you look at these areas that have been historic getaway destinations, it's not so much of a problem. Right. So regulation can still happen. But the first piece to the puzzle for me is to kind of get out of the areas that would be urban, 
you know, where we're going to be faced, you know, um, you know, neighbor, you know, pushback and get into areas that are more traditionally historically getaway destinations. But that being said, regulation can happen at the city level. It can happen at the county level. It can happen at the HOA level. So, you know, in the markets areas that I, I operate in, there's a couple of just homeowners associations that, uh, you know, something pops up on the MLS and, ah, uh, geez, it's in our area. It's in our county. It's not dysregulated in our county, but I know that that HOA has regulations against it. So the best thing to do there, yes, take a look at AirDNA before making any kind of offers. Obviously, check with uh, you know, your real estate professional, who you list, you know, your buying agent might be, and have you know work with an agent who's investor friendly, knows the market. Right, a short-term rental friendly agent that would know the mm-hmm. market, because I imagine that's a completely different ball game from just putting a tenant in there for twelve months and then switching them out once a year. Um, very interesting. So once you have this, you're talking about making it unique. That's how you're going to get on the first page. Are you putting this on just Airbnb? Are you putting this right. on multiple rental websites? There's tons of them. I mean, yep. how, and then how do I get to that first page? Is it reviews? Yep. So there's, there's, there's a couple of things going on there. First, yeah. we've talked about, let's, let's have a unique property, right? Let's, let's, decorate it let's get out all the old stuff right a lot of people uh, if you look at a lot of airbnb listings the photos are dim there's a lot of like Mm -hmm. grandma's stuff left over (laughs) so we start with design right we want a clean crisp nice furniture uncluttered we want to take professional photos absolutely 100 necessary and then the next part really becomes about understanding what's going on with the algorithm what does airbnb want if i've got 300 listings i have to decide in what order to show those. And so what's important to Airbnb? Two things primarily. One, that the guest has a great satisfactory you know, experience. And two, that if the algorithm shows your listing, that that listing then closes a sale to generate a service revenue. So the first part of that is be a good host, right? Get five-star reviews, go out of your way. You're in the hospitality business, do a good job for your clients. That's going to, that's how you really maintain your five-star reviews, right? But the more important part of it then becomes how do I feed the algorithm to show it that I can close the sale, that I can generate that service revenue. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the primary ways, there's a lot of sort of technological SEO type things we can get into. Um, I dive into all of them in the book, but one of the biggest being your pricing. 95% of hosts list a property, pick their average daily rate, call it $200 a night, and just post that as their rate. What that does is that underprices their weekends, so all their weekends fill up real quick, and overprices their weekdays. So then their weekdays go flat, right? They go unbooked. So occupancy and pricing for occupancy is the next really big thing to, you know, getting to the top of the the list. And we do that with a um, third-party pricing, dynamic pricing tool called Price Labs. There's others, Wheelhouse is another one, Beyond Pricing is another one. But the way these work is you set that $200 base price. This software is getting data all the time from Airbnb about the number of searches going on in that area for that time, that weekend, that um, specific date range, what the occupancy is, what the historical occupancy is. And then it turns up and down your pricing the way like an airline uh, airplane airlines with, with, with seats. So if there's a festival coming into town, if it's a weekend, if it's a holiday weekend, if there's a college graduation going on, it's going to take that $200 night price and jump it up to maybe $350 a night for that right. weekend. So you're going to 
profit maximized, but on the other side, if next Tuesday and Wednesday night is vacant, it might take that $200 and knock it down to $149 a night. And now you're filling your calendar. You're teaching the algorithm that if they try you out in that number three, that page one position, that you're going to then close the viewer, the, the, the guest, and, and generate service revenues for the algorithm. Interesting. Um, so when they're, it's, it's kind of like uh, surge pricing with Uber. You know what I mean? So if you're leaving a mm-hmm. concert, it's a whole different pricing exactly. than if you're going out and using it on a 6 p.m. on a Monday. You know what I mean? So, 100%. Yep. Which is, that's great. That's awesome. That's a the, great analogy. When you're, so you, you have nine properties. You obviously have some sort of system in place. You utilize some sort of tech when you're doing this. Can you let us know into what you use, what you suggest yeah. people to use? How much tech, how much do I use, and how can it help me running a short-term rental? Yeah, you know, the tech stack involves, you know, AirDNA uh, from that research perspective mm-hmm. we talked about. It involves price labs for that third-party dynamic pricing. The next piece is operationals, right? Yeah. You know, when you have one property, you're getting a couple of messages. When you start to have two or three properties, well, you're getting a lot of repetitive messages. So we use an automated messaging platform called Hospitable that automatically responds to your guests and deals with 90% of the questions that you're going to get. So when somebody books, they get an automated message. Here's your FAQ. I call it your concierge message. You know, if Charles, if you were coming, you know, to stay in DC, uh, will be all the things that I would tell you. Here's my favorite restaurants. This is where the great grocery store is. Don't miss this little, you know, hole in the wall spot, right? So we're going to put all those things in a message. And then five days before the guests show up, they're going to get another automated message that says, you know, here's the Wi-Fi, here's the address, here's, you know, the door codes, all the things about getting into the house. So that takes all of the burden off of the host, 95% of the burden, all those questions are being answered in an automated fashion through hospitable, the automated messaging platform. So that's another big piece of the tech stack. You know, you have these properties hours from your house, let's say, um, what kind of small team do you have on the ground? Obviously you have someone to clean. Um, I would imagine you have some sort of handyman. Um, I mean, who reviews the properties between, I mean, obviously you're not going in there. Yeah, perfect. Um, absolutely. You've kind of, I think hit the major buckets there, which are, your housekeeper is your number one business partner, right? Um, you've got to find somebody that, that person's going to be your eyes and ears. They're going to be in the property, you know, three times a week. And they're going to not just be cleaning, but letting you know, like the front doorknobs a little loose, you know, the oven doors a little loose, right? There's a stain on the carpet. So that housekeeper, you know, really is your, your number one business partner, Um you know, we treat them well, we pay them well, we get them everything that they need, you know, new vacuum cleaner, you know. Mm. Um, and then you did touch on the next person that's important to have is, is some sort of handyman, some person that you can call when the housekeeper says that doorknob is loose or the screen's falling out or something, you know, beyond, you know, what the housekeeper would do. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Often once you find the housekeeper, they're local people and they often are already doing this. So they know some of these people. Uh, so uh, yeah, when you get that first, right, when you find those first housekeepers, um, then they can kind of help you with some of, some of the rest, right? So the handyman being the number two person. And then I think you alluded to something um, that's actually very smart, which is what do you do for inspections, right? So we definitely recommend what we call owner's eye, where, you know, the housekeeper is doing a turnover. But we try to come through our properties on about a 90-day frequency and look for the things that the yeah. owner is looking for. You know, some scuffs on the wall, you know, um, reorganizing some cabinets, 
my wife and I lived in, uh, in Greece, Athens, Greece for a year, two years ago. And we ended up just contracting with somebody to do that 90 days, walk through, what do you see? Uh-huh. Little things, if you know, that person was a bit of a handyman, so they could tighten, you know, um, change air filters and, and tighten doorknobs. But then there's things that just, you know, when you need a plumber, you got to call a plumber. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Um, that's a great way of doing it. Anyway, you know, when you're doing a long distance uh, landlording of any type, short return rental or long term, you need to have those people on the ground. Um, uh, the better the people, I know for long term rentals, the easier it is to manage it. And you um, do the same thing you would do at home, you know, the toilet yeah. bla- bla- blocks up and you call a plumber. Right. You know, right. Just making a phone call from a different location. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before when we were talking, which uh, kind of escaped my mind, was minimal rental days. Now, are you? I've had this happen before when mm-hmm. I've been traveling abroad and over like a holiday. So I spend Christmas in like France or something like this, whatever it is, with my wife. And we would, um, you know, the guy was like, oh, no, I got to do this longer. So we would do it longer. We'd pick the days, you know what I mean? Which makes perfect sense. I and mean, this guy, you know, trying to maximize. I'm not thinking that. I'm just like doing it like it's a hotel, you know what I mean? So how do you set it up where you're doing minimal rental days? You know, days? I think. Um... You know, years passed, right? Pre-Airbnb, if you're renting a beach place, it was always Saturday to Saturday, right? You know, seven night minimums. Um, I think those days are moving away, uh, particularly as you get out of the beach areas. Our, mm-hmm. our minimum is, is two nights. Two um, nights. If you tell somebody they have to stay three nights, they're, they're not going to change their plans. They're going to change their search, right? They're going to look for a right. property that will accommodate. So... Yeah, I get that with a lot of like young clients, new clients um, that want, you know, well, I don't want to turn over, you know, I want a three or four day minimum. You can do a three or four day minimum, but you're significantly reducing your applicant pool, right? Your your guest pool. So two nights is my minimum. Um, Occasionally, what we will do as an advanced strategy in our smaller properties is if we have two two night stays or a two and a three night stay with a night in the middle, we will sometimes allow that we call it an orphan night and we will allow for a one night stay in our smaller properties um, in that, in that example. Right. But uh, a four or five bedroom place, the one night stays become problematic because, you know, you're either eating up a weekend night, you know, somebody just stay for Friday night or just Saturday night and have a party and leave. Right. 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 Yeah. The two nights, that makes sense. I personally, for me, I would never stay at a short-term rental. If it wasn't at least two nights, you would just stay at a hotel. It's usually, usually easier. You know what I mean? Or motel. One night, one night stands. Yeah. One night, one night stands. One night stays are kind of of hard to find. Um, So what are common mistakes you see short-term rental real estate investors make? Um, You know, particularly I think a lot of people got in, um, you know, at the height last year and the year before when things were just really kind of crazy booming because of COVID um, I think people need to realize a they're in the hospitality business and b they're in the business business, right? So, you know, this isn't. You know, sometimes you see these comments. Well, this is my house, and these are my rules, and if they don't like it, you know, we have to realize and separate ourselves emotionally from our property, yeah. right? And realize this is a business. You can like the guest or not like the guest, or like what they have to say or not like what they have to say, but we have to put on our you know, a Ritz Carlton front desk manager hat, realize we're in the hospitality business. Um, you know, everybody has, should have an equal opportunity to, to, to rent our place, right? Um, and treat everybody, you know, with respect and, and they're gone in two or three days. If, 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 if they're not a good personality match for you, you know, you know smile through it, uh, do your best, put on your business hat, and, you know, you'll have new guests. It's kind of one of the joys, actually, in the short-term rental business also, which is, 
you know, if you're not, if you're not, uh, you know, sometimes we have guests that we're not meshing with, you know, maybe they're a little picky or, you know, mm-hmm. personality wise. Um, but you know, you smile through it and, you know, they'll, they'll be moving on in a day or two and, and you'll be getting a new guest. Yeah. So Colin, um, how you being a lifelong entrepreneur, how has your relationship towards money changed over the years from starting other businesses to now being short-term rental, um, expert? Yeah. You know, I think what's really different about this phase of my life and business and entrepreneurship is I have really achieved not just sort of cash flow and financial wealth creation through short-term rentals. I've achieved a level of financial freedom mm-hmm. that I've never had before. You know, so I, I remember having, you know, companies and leaving for lunch and, you know, being nervous about, you know, being gone for 20 minutes to go pick up my lunch and you know, being anxious about get back to the office to go, go, go. Um, you know, the short-term rental business has provided me a level of financial freedom and, and, and time freedom, right? Where I can pick up and, you know, go hit a kid's sporting event, you know, twice a week at, you know, two in the afternoon or, um, you know, just not have that stress. Um, so you know, it's been wealth creation and, um, you know, really a comfort through true financial freedom. That's awesome. Those are the best two things, right? Right. And uh, one thing before we wrap up and get more information on you and your business, what are, what are main factors that have contributed to your success over the years? I love speaking to a lifelong non W2 entrepreneur for life, because I've been the same. I never had a job after college. And um, so kind of what has contributed to you being so successful in your life, Colin? I think personally, for me, I've always had a good eye for spotting opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, a number of my companies weren't my idea, they were ideas of a friend. Um, you know, I kind of got into the short-term rental business, um, and just was able to spot an opportunity there. Um, I think the other keys to success are to be a problem solver. You know, so many people are problem identifiers, you know, I'm sure people (laughs) listening to this right now thinking, oh yes, but, 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 you know, well, whatever those buts are, write them down, right? If there are things that you control, can control, write them down and find a solution, right? So I think a lot of people that are successful entrepreneurs, particularly successful real estate investors are just problem solvers. What's the problem? There's always gonna be a new problem. You know, if it's a fix and flip or, you know, if it's a mortgage problem, you know, if it's a tenant problem, you know, we're in the business of solving problems. And I think the people that can identify and solve those problems instead of, you know, sticking their head in the ground are the people that are the most successful. Ah, that's fantastic response. So Colin, how can our listeners learn more about your business, your coaching, your book, everything else about you? Absolutely. The book is easily found. It's host coach on amazon.com uh, to learn more about us and our coaching. Uh, the website is hostcoach.co. And then for kind of a fun behind the, behind the scenes look of what we're doing, you know, uh, with our properties and renovations and running our business uh, uh, on Instagram at host coach. Okay, awesome. I will put those links into the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, it was a great time. Thanks, Charles. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. 
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.